A goosey used a fake penis and synthetic urine to try and fool corrections officers. <laughs> Amazing. But it failed, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he was sentenced to five years in jail. Uh, but this led me down the rabbit hole of fake penises. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. your internet browser had never seen before. Yeah, never, yeah. never yeah. seen. Trying to make a living, working hard to get to Alright, cool. Hello everyone, welcome to Community Notice Board, a podcast about suburbs we grew up in, local landmarks, hometown heroes and coming of age tales. We're very excited today, we've got a very special guest, we've got comedian, writer and host of the Big Squid podcast, we've got Justin Hamilton here. How are you Justin? I am well, thank you. Uh, before we go any further, I'm curious. So, where where did everyone on the podcast grow up? Where oh, what are we comparing here? Yeah, okay, that's okay. great. I I grew up in Newcastle. Um, been in Sydney for a couple of years now, but Newcastle, I guess, is uh, is my hometown. Um, yeah, and yeah. Drew, I'm I'm from Queanbeyan. Oh yeah, next to Canberra. Yeah, and yeah, I, I don't know. Came to Sydney in 2017. And I was born in England, then I moved to Holland for seven years, then I moved here when I was 13 uh, in the Hills District in Sydney. Yeah, so, right. So, so a bit of all over, really. Yeah, James is our international man of mystery. A lot of the, oh, this is great. A lot of the 90s Australiana stuff is completely lost on me. So when people are like, ah, oh, a wee bar, I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> That's so funny. I've only uh, in uh, during last year's lockdown rediscovered the joys of the Wee Spa. I, so I have to try one. It's one of those so things good. that I've just never had. You know, there is a so in the last lockdown because I live by myself, it's easy to just eat too much food and drink too much booze because oh yeah, there's no talking taking place so <laughs> you, you know and so to stop myself from eating uh, too much uh, delicious bad stuff for me i deliberately went and got a, a tub when i was shopping a tub of weiss vegan chocolate ice cream and i thought you know what i'm i'm all for a lot of vegan food but they don't make cheese that well and they don't make uh, chocolate that well so yeah. this is great i won't yeah. want to eat this too much because it's gonna just not be that good yeah. and i brought it home and i had one taste and it was the most fucking delicious thing i had ever eaten <laughs> and it was a disaster and was gone within like six hours Shit. yeah there I would make plans to do the exact same thing as you, but instead of having the revelation that it tastes good, like I would look at it and be like, this sucks, push it off, and then order Gelato Messina immediately. <laughs> like that, the, the test of restraint does not work on me. That's the one thing I could say. I, I, I can always beat restraint. <laughs> Take that. And, uh, and Hamo, we're, we're talking about uh, somewhere in Adelaide for you. So where, where, yeah. whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in uh, West Croydon, which uh, for anyone who hasn't been there is about 20 minutes out of the city. It's not that far out, actually. You know, it's uh, uh, when I catch the train, it's like two stops, seven minutes, you know. Oh, uh, right. And it was uh, uh, like a, a beautiful suburb, actually, like really beautiful old homes. Uh, you know, this all this is going to sound like porn to anyone from Sydney, <laughs> but most houses have a front yard and a backyard. Like, oh, baby. <laughs> wow. Like, Those I've must been... cost $20 million, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? It's <laughs> insane. I remember I'd been living, when I first moved uh, permanently from Adelaide and I lived in Melbourne for a few years, I remember 
when I was first going back and visiting friends in the burbs, I'd be thinking, why is it taking me so long to get from the gate to the front door? Like yeah. this is, I should have called an Uber. What is this front yard magic? You it's know, like you can check the mail just in your underpants because it's literally like out the fucking front door you know you've got like a <laughs> yeah. meter between the curb and oh, you know so where, where you put your umbrella it's just this is not a really a front yard but that in Look, Adelaide yeah you've got it all got it all and it was um uh it was kind of like a, a mix of I was really lucky the school that I went to Croydon Primary was just a mix of everyone it was aboriginal kids it was greeks italians egyptians we had all sorts of faiths there and when i look back on it like what a what a lucky circumstance mm. to grow up in to mm. be around all of these different types of people lots of vietnamese uh, because you know i was uh, born in 72 so uh, we had a lot of Vietnamese in our suburb who started coming to our school and mm. uh, yeah like you know you don't know it at the time they're just your friends they're just yeah. Yeah, the yeah. kids that you hang out with but when I look back on it I was like oh my god I remember going to my mate Bin's house B-I-N-H he, he was Bin he had an older brother called Hung he had a younger sister called Min and a younger brother again called Fook and I went over to their place and uh, they gave me this thing um, I'd never heard of them they were called spring rolls and uh, I remember eating their food and thinking Jesus Christ what is this this is the most delicious thing I've ever eaten and then you know it had all these spices that you know I used, I used to live with mum and my grandfather and my grandfather was the type of cook who you know the, the way you cook things is you you boil them till they have no flavour. Yeah. So yeah. then I've walked in eating all this beautiful Vietnamese food and my grandfather's like, oh, what's that stink coming off you? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of crazy oh, behaviour. salt on it? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's chilli flakes just yeah. coming through my pores and he was that, freaking out over it. So that uh, is how yeah. I, uh, That's how I cook to this day. L- learnt from the grandparents, boiled Boiled vegetables and a oh uh, piece of miscellaneous meat. Drew's you know, like, oh, still got some colour, put it back in. This has got another hour in it. But, uh, <laughs> as, as exotic as my nan gets is uh, when I visit her, she'll make curried sausages. And that's oh, like, right, ooh, yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah, curry, um, curry uh, is the way uh, that the person who, you know, blands everything with their cooking... When, when they get exotic, it's a curry, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has to be. I, I think I told this, I don't know if I told her already, my grandma from Coffs Harbour, very old like Scottish sort of cooking or whatever. And uh, yeah, she went to microwave school in the 60s or something <laughs> like that. When they first came out in microwave, she went to a, like a, a weekend course or a week course on how to use the microwave. And to this day, <laughs> she thinks it's the greatest. So she put, she'll oh cook whole Lord. chicken in the microwave. <laughs> Oh, Jesus oh, a whole chicken and she'll cook it for like half an hour and then they, they you take it out and you get like a black like a soy sauce and baste it so it's not like just deathly white <laughs> like you baste it just so it doesn't look revolting that's and so then you gross. eat it and that's like there you go look at this miraculous machine oh, hang like, on it doesn't go back in like no, you just that's it. That's it. you just color it you're painting it so it's like it's like a mortuary that you know let's paint the corpse Holy so it doesn't look shit. dead let's paint the chicken Something so it looks, so it looks tasty. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. is confronting, isn't I it? Know, <laughs> I'm not sure if I've talked about him much on here, but my step grandfather, um, he's a bit of a character. He's uh, he's kind of like the guy who owns the jewelry shop in Snatch, like the guy who pretends <laughs> to be Jewish. Yeah. Um, and he's he was this big, heavy, like hairy Jewish man, and he used to he was 
a pain in the ass to take to restaurants because he would get something and every time it would be put out, he'd like take a little taste of it and he'd start grimacing and then you'd know that, you know, the procession was about to start and he'd be like, this isn't cooked right. And he would get the chef out and he would insist that he's a chef or he had been a chef at some point, even though no one recalls him ever having a chef's job. <laughs> like he'd never worked in, like as long as my mother had known him when he became their stepdad, he was always in like retail and stuff like that. He'd never been a chef, but he insisted he was a chef with formal training, would always insist that stuff was poorly cooked. He might've then, taken a weekend microwave course. Yeah, <laughs> well he, uh, and so, but like his cooking practices were horrendous. I remember one time, he like he was making this fish curry and uh luckily like at that time fish curry was a little too adventurous for my like eight-year-old taste buds so we kind of got our own glorious oven food but i got to see the process and so we were in manchester and we drove uh to this fish market really early in the morning it's an unusually hot day in england he buys these big fucking fish fillets puts them in the boot of the car to take home but then we go out for the day and he just leaves them in the car so these Great. fish things are just cooking in the boot of the car and so You're by the time cooking, baby you know this, yeah so this is so we pick that fish stuff up at about eight right and we probably get home at about three and so at this point the fish already kind of smells fishy and then he leaves it on the counter for like another four hours and you better believe that night he sent my father to the hospital with food poisoning. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. The, the I wondered where that was going to go. too polite to be like, I am not fucking eating this. But, you know, because he's always like, I'm a chef. And then he, you just watch him, like, get a whole shaker of salt and just empty it into everything he had. Right. Um, so, not to get too maudlin, is he still with us? No, he's not, what, unfortunately. What, what, what age did he go? Uh, he was pretty advanced uh, in his seventies. Around the the salt didn't do him in. I don't think. Yeah. No, it's it, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because all these yeah. people say don't do these things, or or you won't, you know, you won't live a long life. And then, mm. like my grandfather used to be like that as well. Guess what age he went? Eighty one. Like he yeah. nailed it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I had a great auntie who drank a, a like a like a big bottle of beer and smoked a cigar every day of her life and she went in her 90s yeah my my great grandma used to live in uh balmain and she was she's been dead for a while now but she um she lived she was there when it was like five thousand dollars a house like adelaide probably is now right you know or whatever but then she lived in the inner in the inner suburb and then she just got really old really rich just from sitting there with a house i guess and then she just spent every day the local leagues club would pick her up in the shuttle bus, take her to the leagues club. She'd punt and drink all day and go home. And she lived till she was like 98, just the oldest thing <laughs> ever. And you go over to her place, all she would do is just like turn, the bus would turn up, all right, let's go do that, drink, smoke, gamble. She just lived the best life. You know? <laughs> yeah, the dream. I know. Yeah, I know. she absolutely nailed it by the sounds <laughs> of it. So... How are you're the first guest we've ever had from South Australia on the pod. We've had fifty odd episodes. This is the first mm. uh, Adelaide, South Australian. What what do you reckon the the Adelaide sort of psyche is from an Australian standpoint? At least, like, do you do you have an identity down there? Are you, are you sort of uh, who's your enemy? Is Melbourne the enemy? Is the real <laughs> rival Melbourne? Is it everyone? Like, is you sort of um, uh, do you uh, do you feel like Adelaide is the the little brother of Australia sometimes when you're growing up there? 
Yeah, it's a it's funny. It's definitely Melbourne. I think Melbourne is the having lived in Melbourne for about thirteen years and then lived here in Sydney for the last five and a half. Uh, one of the things you kind of realise is that uh, Melbourne's at war with everyone, and <laughs> then you you don't realise it while you're in Melbourne. You're just like, oh, what is this fucking interstate rivalry between everybody? Yeah. And then you realise. So a, a few years ago, I pitched an idea for a TV show uh, to a company up here. Uh, it was a one-on-one with this uh, woman who I'd known a long time ago. Uh, we'd both started off in Adelaide. She'd moved to London. I'd moved to Melbourne. And then we kind of caught up in Sydney. And I'm pitching this idea for this show. And it's going well. And she said, where do you want to put it? And I said, uh, I'd like to place it in Adelaide because everyone picks on Adelaide. And she looked at me and she said, no, they don't. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's picking on Adelaide. She said, no, no one, no one picks on Adelaide. I said, what? What are you talking about? Have you been to comedy gigs? Yeah. And so we had this whole project slipped at the point where, you know, the throwaway remark where you, we just could not agree on people, you know, hanging shit on Adelaide or not. And then so the next six months I was so bamboozled by this. I did a little bit of, you know, just my own research. And you suddenly realise, you know what? People in Sydney do really like Adelaide. They love going there. They love going to the wineries. They like being able to go to the beach. They have fun at the festival, mm-hmm. the Adelaide Fringe. You know, they go down for the, uh, what is it? They have the, um, like the opera in the middle of the year and stuff like that, the Cabaret Festival. Mm. And you suddenly realise, oh, it's, it's, it's Melbourne. Melbourne's firing shots at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you go everywhere else and, and you say to people in Brisbane, what do you think of Sydney? Ah, oh, yeah, no, nah, it's good. Fuck them in the rugby. But yeah, no, nah, I like going there. And people say, what do you think of Perth? Ah, oh, yeah, fuck, it's a long way away. And you f- it's back in 1953, but good people, etc. Yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. And you just realise it's Melbourne going, Sydney, your face doesn't move. Adelaide, you killed too many people. Brisbane, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Hobart, you're inbred. And, and, it's, and, and no one else really gives a shit. So, yeah, yeah. And, they're, and so, they're going, Hey, 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 uh, Sydney, Queensland said this about you. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, fuck it out. Yeah, it is. It's 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 so bizarre, and um, it, it's it's funny because when when we were young, when I was younger, there was the Melbourne Adelaide rivalry, but that was mainly. Uh, football, 40, and yeah. that was that was back when we had our own league, and they had their league, and you know, state of origin was the only time that you ever really saw, you know, that kind of come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you know, Adelaide's a really great place. It's a really uh, like if it had more work opportunities, it would be a perfect city in many yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, feel like way about Newcastle in a way as well. It, yeah, new like it's it's a great city to live, but it just doesn't have the same opportunities that sort of you know, eventually you sort of grow out of the city. But it's nothing wrong with a place at all. It's a yeah. depending on your job. Like yes. my friend who's an accountant uh, had a business there for twenty years. Got a you know he lives twenty minutes from the city, twenty minutes from the beach. Mm-hmm. You know, lives up in the hills. He's having a great time. You know, yeah. uh, raising his kids in a good place. Education system over there is pretty good. Uh, healthcare is pretty good there as well. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there's a lot to love about it. Uh, but you know, the one of the things I never realised was, and uh, comedian Adam Richard was telling me about this, but I was um, having a bit of an issue with a couple of uh, younger comedians, not in a bad way. They were just kind of weird around me. And Adam said, oh, that they've told me that they're intimidated by you. And I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And I was like, I've got the body of a hobbit. Like, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> about? And uh, he said, you 
Okay, let me explain this. You know how you walk through Adelaide at night and you were never scared, whereas the rest of us go to Adelaide and think, fuck, what's going on here? It's a bit creepy. And I go, yeah. He said, that. You've got that air about you. That can be a bit intimidating sometimes. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I I wanted to bring up Adelaide because um, it is the two things that you grow up and you hear are the the things is that the city of churches and the serial killers, right? So the city of churches thing is uh, I didn't, think about it like this, but Adelaide, it's the first Australian city that was settled by mm. free men. It wasn't settled as a colony. So it's the first city where they've gone, you know, oh, we're not going to just put prisoners here. We're just going to be free men. Let's set up a city. So when they did, they said, oh, let's make sure we're, you know, righteous and there's going to be equal, um, you know, religious tolerance and et cetera. So then that sort of was the whole city of churches thing. And actually during the planning of Adelaide, uh, somebody they said that they basically said because it's going to be a colony of uh, a colony of free settlers there'd be there won't be any crime so no provision was made for a jail at all which <laughs> really came, came back to the bottom in the late 20th century when you had all these serial kit like and i don't know if it's a statistical real thing but i think there was there was the so i looked it up because i was like what i know the snowtown thing but there was the truro murders with seven yeah. murders in yeah. the 76 77 and then the family murders, which yeah. are five murders in the 79, 83. Yeah. And then there was a bunch of kids who were kidnapped and never found. The Beaumont children. The Beaumont children. And then the yeah. Ratcliffe and Christy Gordon was kidnapped from Adelaide Oval. And there yeah. was the Hope Forest massacre. Like, so growing up, I mean, not just at least the backdrop of that, was there sort of a bit of a, did you feel as a kid growing up, there was a, were parents superly like, you know, overbearing about this sort of stuff? Or was it really one of those things only looking back and you go, oh, that's actually a lot of fucking murders uh, 20, 40, 30 years later, you know? Well, it was, uh, it's the only city in the country where you can do creative murder at TAFE. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a young, like the younger part of being a teenager, uh, we had uh, the Richard Kelvin situation where one of our big newsreaders, uh, a guy called Rob Kelvin, uh, had a son who I think was mildly on the spectrum, if I remember correctly. It's been a long time since uh, I've thought about this, but uh, he was abducted Mm. in North Adelaide. And it was kind of like a message to the media who were getting too close to the family. Uh, the family were a combination of politicians and judges and people in high places who were getting up to all sorts of um, uh, horrible sort of uh, murders and, yeah. and and sorts uh, of lots of terrible stories come out of it if you if you want to if you want to hear some terrible stories go go and check it out uh, I won't necessarily you know you might be driving along having a nice time and then I say oh yeah and then they murdered this person this way and you're like <laughs> fuck that just ruined lunch so <laughs> I, I won't say anything now I'll yeah. leave it up to you but it's um and then they kind of gave up this guy Bevan Spencer von Arnhem as a you know as a scapegoat to be right, sent off yeah. to prison I don't think it's probably you know, I, I don't, it's probably no different to any other city, you yeah. know, percentage-wise. But what it is is it's it's a proper city size-wise, but it's kind of got a small-town mentality. Right, and yeah. so a small-town mentality, there's a little bit more of I'm going to keep your secrets, I'm going to turn my blind turn a blind eye to something over here. <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, I yeah, know yeah, yeah. you've got all these connections and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it so my mum was like, Mum was more paranoid about me as a young boy going out than she she used to say. God, it's almost like I wish you were a fifteen year old girl. <laughs> I feel like you'd be safer at that at that period because yeah. it was there was a there was a fear 
going on in the city and uh, like you say it's such a like small in the sense compared to sydney that all the murders are literally like you say it's two stops on the train you're not actually that far away from where that person grew up and stuff like that it's not like you know uh so you can just imagine oh wow if i you know two town two blocks over yeah they're grabbing me or whatever so i i i didn't realize i knew it had this stigma but i didn't realize you know that there was actually a bunch of different sort of things going on and whether it was you know, sort of scary growing up there or not. I suppose as a kid, you're probably, you know, just completely... It's it's too weird to be scared. Like, yeah. uh, like I was uh, aware, like I was definitely aware because that was just around the time that I was starting to, you know, head off by myself and things like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, even the... Um, even the area that I grew up in, there was a uh, there was a gang, <laughs> a gang <laughs> called the Croydon Motherfuckers CMF, riding around with push bikes and, and shit this. like that. Yeah, and they used to uh, hang out at a park near my place, and it was uh, I used to play basketball as a kid, and to go to uh, go to games, I would I could walk through that park really easily, or I could. You know, to walk around it was not a big deal, but it was a pain in the ass. Yeah. And so I used to walk through there and they'd fucking chuck rocks at me and, you know, be yelling shit. And I kind of saw it as a baptism of fire. Like yeah. I felt like I had to go through it, you know, <laughs> it's like I have to walk through this. I never answered back. Just kept my head down. Just kept walking. I'd fucking have rocks swinging past my ear and, and landing near my feet. And, uh, and it was just like, well... If I hold my nerve, then, you know, maybe that's a way of, uh, you know, staring down the bullies, I yeah. guess. And, <laughs> while, uh, while you're dodging serial killers as well. It's like, <laughs> just, come on, guys, killers. can we just yeah. all pull in the one direction here? You know, you so. know can't we all team up and, like, yeah. maybe take down <laughs> yeah. this? You know, maybe that's what I should have done. I could have been the leader that Adelaide needed. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it... But for the most part, it was a it was a pretty nice area to grow up in, and yeah. you know, mm. I had a pretty good time. And it's also from a from a comedy perspective. So I started in 1994, and we had this great venue that had only been running for a few months before I uh, I joined up with uh, my mate. I started off in a duo called uh, the Bunsa Boys, and. Uh, you know, it could seat like 100, 110, and it was packed every Thursday. Like, we yeah. were turning people away every Thursday. And when was this? Early this 90s? is 19, uh, March, end of March 94 that I started. And, right. But it was a return audience. So, what was really great about it was you could get up every week, but you had to write new material because the audience was seeing you again. And it, and it, was, it was almost better to do material that didn't work, but they saw you doing new stuff than you relying on the same set over and over again. They were pretty savvy and, yeah, they respected the... Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it was kind of a a real opportunity to get a lot of uh, stage time and experience and learn how to run rooms as well outside of the glare of of Melbourne and Sydney. So, yeah. yeah. So burgeoning scene, yeah. You know, for the arts, it's um, it's always been uh, ahead of the curve in that regard, Uh, you know, ever since Don Dunstan, the premiere in the 70s, you know, put a lot of in uh, money into the arts and really turn things around. And uh, I, th- I honestly think it's a great place to get a start and then, you know, turn up in Melbourne and Sydney and go, look at this, I'm all polished, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I do. I, I have a local character I've found mm-hmm. that uh, I've, I've been quite tickled by this this guy. Yeah. 74-year-old uh, man. I don't know if, you've, if the name uh, rings any bells. Kenneth McCann. 
Um, can. So this bloke, he was charged uh, in 2019, 74 years old. Yep. Um, and he was charged with basically reckless driving. So what happened was he was... Um, he got into a bit of a back and forth with himself and another driver that ended in him sort of side swiping the car. Right. So he's just, um, he's driving into the side of this car and then he uh, claimed to be a member of the special police <laughs> to, to absolve himself from any blame for this guy. So he's been charged with, um, this is this is an exchange with, the, uh, with him and the magistrate. Yeah. So you get the magistrate... Uh, during during that exchange, you pulled out a badge which sh- which said "Special Police" on it. Uh, Magistrate John Wells said, "The other driver laughed that off, saying that's not a real police badge." Uh, the court also heard that McCann's car had the word "Polizei" written on it, which is German for police, and a big red light in the back of his car. And uh, soon after, he rang uh, the other driver. He said, um, "I'm a sergeant, and one of my officers has hit your car." And I'll get a quote and I'll take care of it. And the other driver recognized his voice on this phone call and said, is this Ken? And you said, no, it's not me. (laughs) Right. Wow. That is so good. Like he didn't even try to hide his voice. No, 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 not at all. I I just love that he's written, presumably in permanent marker or something, he's got polizai written. You know, there's a a bit of logic to it. Like it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it must have. Maybe it worked a couple yeah. of times, and then, you know, <laughs> it just got away. I mean, yeah. that's that's. I pretty wonder boring. why, like, pull over, please, I, Agent wh- Bensley, female body inspector. I'm going to need to commandeer this car. <laughs> I know that. I know that just outside of Adelaide, there is that little German town, right? Like, what? Yeah. So, I don't know if that's why he's chosen German special police. What? I didn't know about the German town. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, it like Amish winery. German sort of, or is it actual German? It's not it's, like. It's German uh, and uh, it's a big winery, wow. you know. Yeah, you, go, yeah. you go up there and, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of other people who <laughs> don't look quite as good at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> that kind yeah. of scenario. Um, I, so I grew up with a, a couple of uh, basketball buddies who became cops and I'd go out with them and this is, you know, I'm pretty young. I uh, haven't quite found the comedy uh, part of life yet and working out what I want to do. And you'd be going to sports bars because that's where you go with your friends when <laughs> when you're younger. Nothing Back in the day when they'd have like a little basketball court in, in, a, in a room and you'd be <laughs> you're trying to drink your beer, next minute a ball flies out of nowhere and smashes it out of your hands. Everyone's, <laughs> hey, you know, no, no, who cares about health and safety? Have another beer. Oh, we'll clean up the glass later. Don't worry about it. It'll be good. But um, these girls were talking to my friends and talking to them about being cops and they asked me what I do and I said I'm a cop as well and there I am five foot seven unshaven you know blah 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 <laughs> and, I, and they didn't believe me so I said I was an undercover cop and one of the girls said if you're an undercover cop why don't you show me your badge and which is ridiculous because if you're undercover you wouldn't be fucking walking around with your badge but anyway my friend was next to me and the, I'm not going to mention any names because I'm sure this could still get him in trouble 20 years later or 25 years later but he handed me his badge from behind and I pretended to pull out my pull it out of my pocket and then flip the badge and the girls were like oh my god you are an undercover cop and what was great was our friend on the other side who hadn't seen the handoff who just for a, a split second had a moment where you could see on his face he was thinking 
what the fuck is going on? Is this internal affairs? Has he been on our case the whole time? <laughs> right, right? Yeah. <laughs> he just did not see the handoff and was flabbergasted. <laughs> just yeah. long enough. It was it was worth it. So Shit. you know, maybe it was a maybe it was a thing that was going around in the Adelaide days. Uh, yeah, my, yeah, I'm a cop. Yeah, Everyone. why not? Yeah. There's enough yeah. fucking people killing other people. I feel like you know, there's probably the cops aren't. A, Got other things to fucking do than track well, down people impersonating them. You know? Well, that's that's how you keep people off your case. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I was I was I was going to take him and turn him into a skin and hair suit, but it turns out he's a cop, so we better <laughs> we better stay away from him, or the heat will come down on us. You um you mentioned gangs. Um, Adelaide, the the uh, the formed the famous biker gang, the Finks, mm. were formed in Adelaide. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard. I love the Finks because they're named after a. A character from the Wizard of Id. Well, then you know the comic strip. Yeah, like it's yeah. like a dorky old dad's, you know, sort of. And it, and it's uh, so the Fink. Well, not a well, character. You, you wouldn't say that to the Finks, though, right? No, no, no. But well, the thing is, the Finks are in the comic strip that they would call the King of Fink, right? Yeah, the, the King is a Fink in this strip. But the Fink means it means like a scab or a snitch or an informant. Yeah. So they just—they're like the snitches, is their gang. Which is <laughs> just like it's great they kings. thought it through, you know. You, you know, so you, uh, it, you know, the the gang situation has been uh, quite bad there in in the past. You know, yeah. I, I've seen them turn up to places, and it is fucking genuinely intimidating. And it's yeah. amazing how mm. you can feel them in a club. Like you'll be one end, and then you'll just go, "What's? Geez, a weird vibe going on here." What's yeah. going on? And then uh, you go to the bar and you go, oh, that is the scent of fear that has yeah. permeated this yeah. place. But the, um, the girl you're talking to is pushing you towards and like, come on, you're an undercover cop. I'm undercover. This is not the time to bust out. <laughs> I've got an important case that I'm trying to fix. But um, so do, do you, uh, uh, you know, the comedian Mickey D? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've known Mickey since he was sixteen, and when we were, this is like probably my I was probably around twenty seven. So I'm guessing he must have been around eighteen, nineteen, and we got asked to do a corporate gig, and uh, you know, like like not a not a proper corporate gig, but what we considered a corporate gig at yeah, the time. Yeah, sure. And uh, we got this address, and we did. You know, we were just fucking idiots we were just like oh yeah no no worries what do you need us to do yeah half an hour each yep that'll be great uh you know this is how much they said no worries <laughs> and uh i remember mickey driving us uh and it, it took ages we're driving out and driving out and you know chatting away and driving and then you know houses start disappearing you know it's like <laughs> oh there's no houses oh these are just empty lots and there's oh here's the address and then you followed the gate down and there was a um a big shed with all these motorbikes on the outside and Mickey and I were like, oh, cool, they ride bikes. <laughs> so I didn't, didn't think maybe we should just reverse and leave and uh, we went in and uh, it was like, it was fucking scary. Like we walked in and it was wall-to-wall -wall bikers. There were two women doing a sex act uh, on the floor <laughs> There was You know Pool tables There was everything going on And then One of the bikers Has seen us And has gone Oh fuck It's the fucking comedians oh, <laughs> and no. so, so we're oh. brought in And they're talking to us And then they get the girls To stop And sit at the bar And I got up To do <laughs> my So not only do you have to go on You have to stop the girls <laughs> You have to stop the girls So, so everyone's wrapped You yeah, know yeah. No Normally at a corporate ah. gig Nobody wants to see you But this specifically oh. They don't want to see you 
you. And um, anyway, the gig was tough and uh, I got uh, smacked in the head with a loaf of bread, which I don't know if it was because they didn't think I was funny or they just wanted to test if I was gluten intolerant. I have no (laughs) idea. But Mickey D got up and he struggled as well. And then we had to stay there for a few hours because each one... like. Weirdly, they were really nice to us as well. Like, I know it sounds bizarre, but they were really nice. Yeah, all right, you did your best, right? Here's your money. And we got this fucking bag full of change, which added up to a little bit more than we had uh, uh, asked for. Wow. And uh, we were there for about three or four hours. And they were buying us, uh, they were giving us drinks and they were telling us what was wrong with our comedy and how we could improve it. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know what you need to do, mate? You need to talk about pussy more. Yes, thank you. Yes, uh, talk about pussy more. Any more notes and I'll take yeah. that. Uh, I suppose there's worse things you could have got hit with than, you know, some oh, wonder why. Uh, Mate, oh. like I'm like it's like it's a win, like it's a win to be around bikers and be hit with a loaf of bread, you yeah. know. And and then it got to about uh, midnight or one o'clock or something, and then you know Mickey and I just had just incrementally moved to the edge of the of the entrance, you know. And then, yeah. then it was like, okay, time to go, <laughs> get into Jesus the car, Christ. and you know, we were like. It was one of those things where Mickey came back to my place and we, we watched the sun come up because the adrenaline is like, oh, yep, yeah, all right, okay, well, we've learned some lessons today. A, ask who you're doing the gig for and B, uh, if it's bikers, maybe don't fucking go in, mate. But, yeah, uh, and write some anti-Hells Angels gear or something, you know. Get, start, start. I can't believe that. Imagine, I mean, you. how old were you, 27? Like, I was Mickey, like 26, 27, 18-year-old. Like yeah. yeah, just like... I'm yeah. sweating. I think 18 that, yeah. probably works in your favor at that point, just because you're so oh. fearless. Like me walking into it at 33, the guy's like, "Talk about pussy more." I'd just like roll onto my back and be like, "I can be it, you know? Like I'll do whatever yeah. you want." Yeah, I can be the pussy. Is that what you say? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't Am hear I what you said. Pussy? Whatever, whatever. I'll do any of it. But uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. Actually, I think when you're younger, you're a bit like, like I'm glad that I started comedy when I was too young to realize that. Sometimes it could be awful. Not all the time. Like that's uh, people think that you have bad gigs all the time. That's not true at all. It's just that the bad gigs stick with you. Yeah, <laughs> you tell you tell so, You know, the, yeah. the last corporate gig I did in, um, I, it wasn't last corporate gig. Two corporate gigs ago, which was before the first lockdown, was in Newcastle, and it was for. And I love Newcastle. I've had nothing but good gigs in Newcastle. But this corporate gig was for. Uh, real estate awards in for the area and it was the a big people. room 600 <laughs> 600 people big room like massive room lights mm. are up everything and then the mc says okay i'm going to go out and uh, introduce you and you know when they're talking through the band and they're talking through the mc mm. and you're like mm. well i'm not going to win this not a chance. No. this is this, this you are incapable of winning this. This is like giving Roger Federer a stick and a beach ball and say, show us how to play tennis. Yeah. And then you stand back and you go, I thought he was meant to be good. I thought yeah. he was meant to know what he was doing. Like yeah. you were just not going to succeed with that. And uh, it was, but I did like 27, 28 of my 30 minutes and then hung around, you know, long enough to be nice and polite to the person who booked me. And then I just went back to my hotel and realised that there was like a train in 20 minutes back to Sydney. And I went, I'm fucking taking that train. I'm going to wake up in my bed rather than wake up in this hotel and might see some of these people and have to, you know, imagine if someone from the real estate agency comes up and says, you know what's wrong with your comedy? You need to talk about pussy more. Yep, no worries. I've had that advice. I really got to take it on board. Just throwing sourdough loaves at you, you know. I wanted to... This game 
him up earlier, the name uh, Don Dunstan, the Premier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has a little connection to West Croydon and West Croydon history. I'm not sure if you know this, Justin, but uh, I, I, the Jewish person in me wants to pronounce it as Chala Gardens Hotel, but I assume it's Chala Gardens or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, like, I can understand why the rest of you are not laughing at that, but fuck, that's... <laughs> Yes, you are correct. <laughs> I had never even thought to call it. Justin, they're bullies. Come on, just laugh. But. Uh, uh, you know yeah, what you so need to do, Jamie. Add more pussy to your material. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can't do. Uh, so this place, the Charla Gardens Hotel, yep. it's yep. mentioned. Uh, it's mentioned a bunch in Reddit now about being a bit run down. Uh, yeah, someone gave it the lovely nickname Chunder Gardens Hotel. Yep. Um, yeah. Perfect. But it's famous um, in Adelaide history because at 6.01pm on the 28th of September in 1967, Premier Don Dunstan raised his glass of beer in a packed pub and he brought an end to six o'clock closing of all pubs yeah, in Adelaide yeah. and South Australia. I had forgotten go. that. Yeah, right. Far so out. they say that... Uh, so. Basically, we've talked about this uh, in an earlier episode in Victoria about uh, early closing of pubs, but it had been part of uh, culture since around 1916. And basically, they said uh, the <laughs> the first night of early closing, the Adelaide Advertiser reports this on Tuesday, March 28th, 1916. The first night the pubs had to close at 6 instead of 11. It went down poorly creating rowdy street <laughs> scenes outside the imperial hotel on the corner of king william and grenfell street yeah right it culminated in a march followed by a noisy protest outside the adelaide club in north terrace <laughs> which had been allowed to continue to serve alcohol and then so basically this led to and we mentioned it in another episode but uh the following decades this led to the six o'clock swill which was when blokes yeah. would knock off work at five and knowing that Everything would close at six. They got as pissed as quickly as possible until someone says, time, gentlemen, please, and they have to go home to their lives. So this is why back in those days, all pubs were kind of just made out of like pure concrete with nowhere comfortable. So everyone who would just smash their piss in would drop glasses, fight each other. And at the end of the day, when it's closing time, you just turn on that hose, water it down, let it dry off, and it, (laughs) it comes back the next day. Um, so basically, yeah, after World War II, a lot of other states started doing it and Adelaide held on, but it was Don Dunson who took it charge in 1965 and he had this like liquor license system that was in chaos and he was the one that, uh, turned it all around basically. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, he, I think it also, uh, changed something that women were now allowed into front bars as well. So the premier went to West Croydon to make yeah. a little bit of drinking history oh. in Adelaide. What so, time did they extend it to? Is it like 10 o'clock? Uh, sort of I think thing? it was 10, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Don Dunstan was like the first uh, kind of politician I knew about growing up. And it was, you know, I knew about Don Dunstan and I knew about Gough Whitlam. And then, you know... And then, you know, you, you have Fraser and uh, uh, Labor was in uh, Adelaide for a long time. There was a really good premier called uh, John Bannon who did a really good job. And, you know, someone who just hangs around just a bit too long and then sh- shit goes pear-shaped right at the end. There was yes. the state bank fiasco. And it's a shame because that ended up putting a, a shadow on his time in, in office. But he'd actually been really good up until that point. And, uh, you know, we were... 
it, it was a thriving uh, uh, town to go and uh, check things out. Like the Adelaide Fringe happened every two years and that was such an influx of ideas and thoughts and, you know, seeing stuff out in the streets and it was really exciting. That was, uh, that was the time that I really... Uh, kind of knew that I wanted to perform because I was seeing the Doug Anthony All-Stars live in and, uh, you know, uh, the late show, uh, you know, Tony Martin and Mick Malloy when they yeah, kind of yeah. tour and stuff like wow. that because cause it's a smaller city. You can, like, you're right up in it. Like, you're not from a distance. You're really close to watching it happen and yeah. feeling it uh, as a visceral experience. Well, yeah. sp- speaking of the arts, um, i got a, a, another guy here. Do you know <laughs> Nigel McBride? Have you heard this? This name. No, no. He's a prominent, well, Wikipedia describes him as a prominent lawyer and businessman who lives and works in South Australia. But effectively, he's he's been the CEO of a lot of, um, like he's been on the board of a lot of companies and he's very much like your sort of chamber of commerce, peak business body leader. Mm. Um, and this just, this is what he looks like. Um, okay. So oh, yeah. for, the, for, for the listeners, yeah. just a... Uh, an older bald sort of he just looks like a dorky dad really yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he looks um, like he looks like um you know the uk actor matt lucas he looks like he could yeah, be I matt, was gonna say matt lucas it's his dad who's who's maybe doing his best to be comfortable with the fact that his son is gay that's what he wants i don't care just a bit annoying but still uh, as long as he rings his mother yeah (laughs) well he um he recently stepped down as his uh his role as the uh, prospect council chief executive not um not sure what they do but he's he's sort of chasing a dream so he's he's just released his debut song um I did he's not put, expect that. <laughs> he's, putting, he's putting music out under the stage Kirk name Manhood. Fractal Jam. Oh, right. cool. Uh, fractal, this is all one word, fractal in lowercase, jam all in uppercase for whatever reason. Um, the song is called Team Delicious uh, with D, D-licious and then the last S is a dollar symbol. Course. Just to add a little, <laughs> little flavor That's to this. That's the rules, yes. Right. This is great. Yes. <laughs> this- um you want me to now, show it, Drew? He, well, apparently, yeah, yeah. Apparently, he has, he's been a budding musician for several years, uh, including playing with the band Dr. Bob and the Amazing Disciples of Groove. Great. Uh, Love <laughs> it. Great name. So, yeah. this, this is his... Uh, we'll, we'll play Let's a play. few... Yeah, Pat, we'll play about 30 seconds. This is his debut song. This is Team Delicious, Fractal Jam. Oh. It's a bit sexy. Can you... Is that coming through? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that's probably uh that's enough to give you a flavor of the song. What the fuck? No, that's not serious, is it? That's like is that serious? Real, deadly serious. This like- that's so that's Fractal Janice's first single. Um <laughs> But, but, but oh, great, this guy's a business CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to suck it. It's like Jesus Christ. Um, but this I mean, that, this song is a um, bang. He said the song was McBride said his song was inspired by the political climate of recent times, especially in the US. Oh yeah, no, I got that. Yeah, <laughs> coming through loud and clear. <laughs> So well, I mean, you were talking about, about that, didn't we, right? <laughs> talking about his dad being up disappointed. Imagine his kids 
Imagine your dad's like <laughs> maybe they're into like, it. Oh my god, dad's playing his song yeah. again. Well, <laughs> it's it because it sounded good enough to be not serious. Does that make sense? Like you know yeah, when you yeah. hear like you know get swifty with it on Rick and Morty. Yeah. Like it sounds good enough to be a funny song. Yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't. It didn't sound quite it's just a bad like enough it. to be awful. That's well, he's right. um. He, 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 <laughs> He, he does obviously take it pretty seriously because uh, this is a paragraph from the Advertiser article about um, the debut. Inspired by the protest songs of the 60s and 70s, McBride lists the like of Lou Reed, Leonard Cohen and Ben Harper as musical influences. Now you can tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this new song is the first in a longer term project, a near future dystopian sci-fi rock opera, which Great. McBride hopes to put together over the next year. Nah. Yes. I'm all for it. How old is this guy? This guy's like, he'd be in his fifties for sure. You know what? Like, but coming like to Adelaide Fringe, need, you know, yeah, the next that couple would of win years, whatever. The what's the top award? Like, if that, if people weren't sure if it was real or a, or a character or a Sasha Baron Cohen thing, yeah. like, that's genius. You know, if he come out and it's like this is a business guy who's becoming a DJ, but because it's actually real, it's so much sadder. It, it, you know, but, but is it real? Like, is it? You know, like it maybe it's like the. Uh, the old you've seen the movie The Prestige yeah. Yeah. yeah you know the you know the uh, Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman go to see the magician who can make the bowl disappear and, and you suddenly realise oh the act is that he's an old person do you know what I mean yeah, <laughs> like yeah, maybe this right. maybe this is a long con you know that's true <laughs> if you were like a cool music producer and then you just dressed up as an old guy for four years inserted yourself into the business community and then were like Ta-da, I'm a cool, you know, I'm a crazy <laughs> DJ. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. You know? Well, I guess that's as far as that, like, because of the hive mind with art these days, you know, you, it's so hard for TV shows to have any twists anymore because collectively everyone can get together, think of every twist and then pick it, right? Yeah. So yeah. what you have to do is you have to do something so undercover. It has to be, you have to, like, plan for years. And yeah, then you're in the be. middle of this, you know, he needs to be, you know, having everyone dancing and then just zip it down and pulls it out. It's like, fuck, it's Snoop Dogg. It was Snoop Dogg for the last <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> oh, my God. No wonder he's been doing those Uber Eats ads. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, we can all find out in West Croydon Part 2 in two years when we've all booked tickets to see his Adelaide Fringe right. award-winning show, no doubt. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I would love to, uh, you know, do the Big Squid podcast and have him as my musical act. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Cool. We should get right? him on it. In, in a year or two, he'll be a star anyway. We'll get him on. Yeah, let, oh, he'll well, be let's, on. let's get him now, like before we can't afford it. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say in a year, I'll get like community notice board. Never heard of it. He'll be on Big Brother in six months and then <laughs> yeah. he'll yeah. be bigger than everyone before. Yeah, all this I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Yeah. I, yeah. I have to be honest, though, and sort of say, well, good on him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Know. Like, you know, he's, 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 he's going all in. Like, there's no walking back to the business community. You know, from this, that's pretty. Pretty embarrassing well, to be in well, three years just like you know trying to close real estate deals and like aren't you tenacious love dollar yeah, signs, yeah, you know? yeah yeah well you know is it is it any crazier than did you see the news about francis ford copler over the weekend and how he has a hundred million dollar sci-fi movie that he's always wanted to make and he's going to invest his own money in it and he's 82 and he's oh. starting to get his cast together and Coppola has made some of the most brilliant movies of all time, but that was a long time ago as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, what else are you going to do? Sit yeah, around and wait for death? Might as well fucking break some 
dance floors and <laughs> get if some tunes out there. True. Yeah, absolutely. Well, oh. after a night of uh, hitting it on the dance floor, I wanted to ask you, Hammer, about <laughs> a, an iconic Adelaide food, the pie floater, uh, a food yeah. so significant to South Australia that it has been recognised by the South Australian National Trust as a heritage icon. <laughs> it is. It is. You're not allowed to eat it. You're just allowed to buy it and look at it. And, uh, so uh, one of there's only a few things in life that, uh, you know, uh, like I've been a vegetarian for a while and there's only a few things in life that I really am disappointed that I won't experience quite uh, again. Like, uh, And the pie floater is delicious because it's just, you know, pie that's been in a fucking oven or little grill thing for a long time plonked in some uh, peas, some cooked peas with some sauce squeezed on top. And when you are drunk and you're standing there with your mates just leaning on the counter, having something to eat, it used to be delicious. Back in a day when I could eat that kind of food and, and not put on weight immediately. So it's a, it's just it's a traditional meat pie and it's, it's just got sits smashed, in mushy peas, smashed, right? Mushy yeah. Peas. But apparently yeah. it's turned upside down as well. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah, inverse. Yeah. So I got some history here. The float... So the floater, they were originally served from pie carts, which were mm. dotted, dotted around Adelaide. Adelaide, yeah. And uh, here we go. Uh, ABC Adelaide personality Peter Goers described... Peter Goers. Oh, Goers, sorry. Yeah. Goers he'll he'll find cool. you and he'll... <laughs> fuck it. Yeah, that's the kind of guy Peter Goers is. <laughs> he described a pie floater consumption as a rite of passage, and he said yeah. pie floaters taste better if you're drunk. Yes. No, 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 that's a fact. <laughs> a lot yeah. of food does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, there, there's kind of two stories about how they were set up. One is that uh, our pastry cook James Gibbs, who emigrated to Adelaide from Scotland in the 1880s, he set up a, an, a, one of the original pie carts in Rundle Street, and he worked at a brewery six days a week to pay for his passion, which was his pies. And basically, the popularity of the floaters with drunk people meant he could expand his cart quickly. But then there's a town, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, north, it's called Port Pirie, maybe? Oh, uh, Port Pirie. Yeah, Port Pirie. Yep. Yep. So apparently at exactly the same time, a baker over there called Ern Bradley um, used a newspaper advertisement to invite moviegoers to have a nice, a nice supper after a movie involving hot pies and floaters. And so they... They kind of got invented at the exact same time, apparently. <laughs> right. And <laughs> two people within yeah, 20k yeah, yeah. of like, the same city. The pie ups are down, green peas. Right. That's the same. That's the idea. There's no way. There's someone stealing from someone. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like ants in a bug life uh, coming out at the same yeah, time. Exactly. These things happen. There's all, yeah. There's, yeah, that it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> we call something it that, in the air. Yeah, no other city <laughs> comes up with it at call all. It but Adelaide, the two bugs guys life at the paradox. Same time. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, pie carts were huge. Yeah. Uh, and then they kind of shrank, and they were around 10 pre World War One, And then cart uh, numbers continued to shrink into the 30s and 40s. Yeah. And then in the 1950s, there were just three carts that remained. And now, sadly, there are zero, except there are still a couple at the footy. Um, but uh, also in this history of the pie cart, I found a great, like, a short old uh, newspaper article from a local Adelaide pie paper, and it's called Pie Cart Pursued by Bandits. 
And then the second, <laughs> and then the byline says only pies were wanted. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Sounds about right. So, well, you know, you can go to Adelaide now and you can do the pie factor, which is there's three twenty four seven. Uh, cafes. There's uh, Villies de Cafe. Oh, Cafe de Villies, sorry. Yep. And then there's one in Norwood and then there's another one in North Adelaide. And so you, if you can, you know, if you're super high and you want to prove something <laughs> to nobody, you can, uh, you can do, the, do the pie factor in, you know, three hours. Like, like you know, and that's taking your time not, too. You know, I know, no, they probably do taste better drunk, but the third one doesn't taste that good, I think. You know, by the time you've had two, you're like, oh, I'm, no. I'm doing this just for the claim to fame. I'm really yeah, not that hungry. A, a claim to fame that no one gives a shit about. No, no, <laughs> but oh, I've done I it. I've done pretty, it. Where's the news crew? What's going if on? If someone told me they'd done the pie factor, I'd be like, that rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie's like, cool. I didn't see you at the conference last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 I, let me finish reading this article just because oh, the wording sorry. is so funny just because it's so uh, old time. So, uh, only pies were wanted. And then it begins. Two pie men driving their pie cart home. This is not the start of an Eiffel 65 song, by the way. It's not like... <laughs> Uh, then they say they, they were driving their pie cart home early on a Sunday morning. They had a bad scare when two men in a buggy held them up at the corner of West Terrace and Hindley Street. The two in the buggy shouted and gesticulated wildly, and the pie men, thinking they were demanding money, whipped up their horse. A wild chase began. It ended at the Squatters Arms Hotel on Port Road where the pursuers gave up the chase. The police were informed, and the crime was solved. The men wanted pies. That's the end of the <laughs> Great. Great. Well, <laughs> really gets yeah. to the point, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Hindley Street was uh, kind of like the King's Cross of Adelaide. Ah. Uh, yeah. So it's down one end, one end of, uh, so Rundle Mall. Like, so yeah. if you if you see Adelaide, it's like a nice square, the way it's mm. been, because it's been planned. And right down the middle is uh, Rundle Street, Rundle Mall, Hindley Street. And so Hindley Street was a little bit rough and Rundle Street was kind of where clubs were and, you know, uh, good restaurants. And that's kind of where a lot of the fringe is based, often yeah. down that end. So, mm-hmm. yes, there you go. A little bit of uh, Adelaide history. And so, it was, you know, Hindley Street could be a little bit intimidating, you know. Yeah. But, but once again, man. has been cleaned up like King's Cross as well. You yeah. Know, that just, which yeah, I'm always torn between, like, being safer, yes. Ah, oh, it's a bit fucking drab now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why, why, why does safe have to mean no character? I know. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, John, you know, John Ibrahim's poor now or a lot less money. That's good. But also all these real estate developers are really rich, you know? So yeah. it's like yeah. you sell them off, your nightclubs are out, high rises are in. I mean, it's, it's sort of... It's not exactly a great trade sometimes. No, no, it's a bummer. But, you know, thinking about the pie cart and and losing that, uh, you know, them not being around anymore, that's because of fast food places. Mm. Like, that's when, that's the problem with these uh, multi-international corporations coming in and, you know, they they bland out a place, you know, and and, and in, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a fucking pie cart. But it was also something that was Adelaide's, but now yeah. they no longer exist because you're going to McDonald's or you're going to Hungry Jack's or you're going to whatever. Yeah, well, just to wrap up one of the earlier things on that point, the Finks are no more because they all patched over to the Mongols, who are a US gang, 
Right. And so a US gang came in and said, come to us. And so they sold out for the big international <laughs> corporation. Now the Finks, Mate, we've lost the bike oh. carts. We've lost yeah. the Finks. Yeah. Like, all, the you know, little, all the little uh, mum and pop bikey gangs. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. This big yeah, old, the really big, big bikey from the US. Uh, <laughs> come out here. Serial killers have all signed up for the new season of Dexter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, come on, guys. Fucking um, get back to it. <laughs> speaking of uh, bikeys, uh, didn't you have a, a meth yeah, just lab or something? Oh, I mean, shit, yes. Tip. Uh, yes, I did basically, too. Basically, a super lab was found in oh. West Croydon, capable yes. of producing hundreds of millions of dollars of illicit drugs. This also has a very funny side story attached to it, which I'll get to. But basically, a Breaking Bad-style super lab was found, and it was one of the largest meth labs ever discovered in South Australia. Uh, they said. By the way, a li- only a couple of years ago. Yeah, wow. really, it's it? really recent. Yeah, very. Is it, so, is this in? Is it a warehouse? Is it like an underground bunker? From the pictures, it kind of looked like a house in suburbia. That's oh, really? Insane. Okay, big front yard, big backyard. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> Neighbors are keeping themselves, I suppose. Yeah. You know? yeah. So they Jesus. said um, they found like a large amount of precursor chemicals, and they estimated that there were hundreds of kilograms uh, believed to be student. Uh, student ephedrine at the address Mm. and they said that like if uh, if the drugs on the premises had been sold in kilogram lots it would have fetched 20 million dollars and basically the he could have bought the equivalent house in Sydney yeah (laughs) he could have bought a two bedroom apartment Um, (laughs) the detective in charge of this uh, investigation said that there was so much drug paraphernalia on site that they had to hire special lifting equipment to dismantle the scene. They Jeez. needed to hire forklifts from people. Well, to they could get have just taken some of the meth and then lifted it themselves. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so they say it, it. It took a team of police and forensic personnel six days to dismantle this super lab, and basically three guys got done for it. But then there's this little side character, and his name was Ennis Agusi, and he got pulled into this. He was just like a he was a mechanic on Mercedes Benz cars nearby, and he had a little problem in that he was heavily addicted to methamphetamine. <laughs> and, <laughs> he was after meth. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. article. Yeah. So basically, he uh, would do his job servicing luxury cars, and then after that, he'd use his money to buy meth and I think sell a little on the side. And it is through being a meth head that he met uh, Nicholas Wardle, who was one of the people who ran this super lab. And um, so they meet him. They kind of become friends. It becomes very clear to the guys who run the lab that this man, Agusi, is a meth addict. So they're like, oh, we've, we've got a guy who likes meth. Let's let's bring him into the fold. And Fucking... Um, <laughs> Yeah. invite the fox into the hen house. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it seems like a bad idea to both of them, really. But um, basically what happened was uh, a goosey went to this house to pick up um, a Mercedes for one of the people that was making the meth. And when he arrived, the man gave him a styrofoam box and told him to take care of it. And so when Agusi got home, he opened the box and found like a huge quantity of methamphetamine in this styrofoam uh, container. And so he basically reached the conclusion, like, they gave it to me and said, take care of it. I think that means sell it, not use it. And so, <laughs> oh, man. 
That would, like, that if would someone... rule if he just was like, they, I think they mean smoke this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If someone gave me like five cases of beer and were like, take care of this, I'd be like, oh, I will. <laughs> yes, <sir>. yeah. <laughs> Make sure no one touches it. Yeah. Wouldn't be selling them for like $4 a bottle. But anyway, so this guy, Agusi, he, he gets a meth and he's like, basically, if I sell it, I reckon that I'll be in with these people who have this lab and it, it will basically pay for itself. Like once I start... Once I'm in with them, I can be in the fold. And so he starts, like, helping them out. And then this is maybe, like, a month or two before the raid happens. So then the raid happens. And during the raid, the guy who hooked Agusi up fled on a motorbike. And he was arrested several months later in New South Wales. And then, basically, while they were looking for this guy... They find Agusi's house and find this meth lord's Mercedes-Benz there because he was still working on it. And so they peer into Agusi's house and they spot the mechanic with, like, huge amounts of uh, methamphetamine in his shed. And so they're like, all right, come with us. You're going to get arrested. And the guy has been to prison a couple of times because he's already a meth head. Um, he gets charged with uh, trafficking in a commercial quantity and he's released on bail. And then they, like a few months later, they come back to his house and they find more methamphetamine in his house. And in a, like a drawer, they find a stock full of cash. And so they, uh, again, they pick him up. And then again, he gets released, but he has to take a court-mandated drug tests. And he continues to, like, every time he's doing positive tests for drugs... And they were like, if you. This guy just doesn't. Yeah. He just doesn't get it. He's not very smart. But so (laughs) they tell him eventually, like, mate, if you blow this drug test one more time, your bail is going to be revoked. You're going to jail. So the article says he had a plan. Agusi used a fake penis and synthetic urine to try and fool corrections officers. (laughs) Amazing. But it failed, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he was sentenced to five years in jail. Uh, but this led me down the rabbit hole of fake penises. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. your internet browser had never seen before. Yeah, never. Yeah. never yeah. All the links weren't purple, penis, were they? Never, yeah. I had never typed there in penis. There goes the algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> I had never typed in penis bigger or what is micropenis technically into my browser. But so I looked up like uh, fake penis beat drug test in Google. Mm. And the first thing that comes up is this thing and it's called the Wizenator. Uh, and I think it's like the Rolls Royce of fake penises, basically. <laughs> it's the first product that comes up when you search like fake penis for drug tests, as mentioned in like a bunch of news articles about like this is like people have used the Wizenator to beat drug tests or tried to beat drug tests. But uh the site says that the product is not intended for any illegal purpose. Or, and yeah. it's definitely just for getting over stage fright yeah, yeah. in front of the and fellas. It's, yeah. it's definitely yeah. not to be used to beat lawfully administered drug tests. Wink. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. But famous famous clients of the Wizenator include Mike Tyson and uh, NFL star and former husband of Khloe Kardashian, Lamar Odom. And the article about Lamar Odom goes to great pains to mention the fact that his uh, fake Wizenator was a giant model. Like, it was, <laughs> like they, yeah. they mentioned it over and over again. They're like, yeah. it was huge. It was, and it's yeah. like, but that's the fake penis. Like, he could be rocking nothing. Yeah. But here's what comes with the Wizenator for 199 bucks. Uh, one Wizenator Touch, which is a fake penis, and it comes in a variety of colors, and it's meant to be the most lifelike fake penis that you will see on the market. Uh, a refillable vinyl pouch for pee, yep. 
Yep. Four heat pads that keep the urine at syn- like body temperature. Oh, yeah. And good. then synthetic urine, which I assume like most people just throw out. So I, I like the Wizenator markets itself is like people who like to pee on each other. This is a way to do it without the grossness of pee. Like we, you can make some pee. Um, <laughs> I'm really into piss play, but pee's gross. Like, yeah, 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 like, yeah. That's a very yeah. small market. Yeah, uh, but because you can't, like, obviously, synthetic urine doesn't beat drug tests. Like, it people will be like, "This is not piss." Yeah. So basically, yeah. like the people get the Wizenator, throw out the synthetic pouches, and then get like I think Mike Tyson said he used to get his baby's urine and uh, oh put it God. in like the vinyl pouches so you just got to get clean urine from someone but yeah the wizardator costs 199 bucks they insist Bargain. it's not for this sort of thing but it very much is yeah, yeah. no it's not for using uh, to beat a drug test for the police it's for using obviously by uh having two sportsmen represented <laughs> to beat drug tests for playing sports so yeah. Yeah, it costs right. um it costs 199 dollars but you can get free shipping if you use code community notice <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> finally the sponsor you've been waiting for yeah. so. <laughs> I'll so tell you what, if I'm going to get a fake penis, I'm getting the Rolls Royce of it. I'm not getting the Hyundai gets yeah. of uh, <laughs> fake penises. You well, I'd like to see the worst fake penises on the market. I didn't go that far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> the Alibaba uh, model, yeah. What would you... What do you want it to look like? Do you want it to look deformed or do you want it to just <laughs> look intimidating yeah, or do you want it, it to it line up? It was deformed and then like they looked over at... While you were doing it, you'd be like, "Stop looking at my deformed dick," and they'd go, <laughs> yeah, "All right, yeah. I'll give you some uh, privacy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it weighs on a weird angle kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Turn it upside down. <laughs> well, you're probably wondering why I asked you to look that story up, Jamie. Yes. But uh, so one of the people that was not mentioned in that story, I know, and uh, you know when you uh, were saying uh, Drew about the. Um, does it have a front yard and a backyard? Yeah, it does. Because I used to play there as a kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so when I was, so I was raised by a single mum, and uh, mum was like nineteen when she had me. So you know, imagine being like 25, 26 in the, the mid seventies and having to deal with parents. You know, that's the mm. fucking hard thing. You get the nice parents, but you get the fuckhead parents. And uh, there was one guy that I was friends with. Um, I don't know legally if I'm like he went to prison. Uh, I won't say his. Uh, I'll call him Gary, just to just to be Sounds sure. Good. So Gary and I were friends, and he had a friend. Uh, his dad was a guy called Danny. Danny was a full-on Italian, like, and I'm I'm going to say something that's offensive, but y- you need to hear this because it's important. Trust me. So, yeah. just to, for once again, for anyone who's running and thinking, "Fuck, where did this all come from?" Uh, this is what Danny used to say to my mum. He used to look at her and say. Andrea, Andrea, when are you going to get a man in your house? When are you going to get a man? Start dating a nice man. Get a man in the house so Justino don't grow up to be a pufta. And he used to say that to my mum all the time. And my mum used to say, fuck off, Danny. And that would be the end of it, right? And then I'd just hang out with Gary and he was my friend, right? Yeah. So then mum, a few years ago, mum texts me and says, have you checked your email? I said, no. She said, go and look at it now. And I go and look. And Gary has grown up and the place that I used to go over and play all the time in primary school days is a massive meth lab. It's, It's covered so no one can see into it. It's like, it's like someone went into my memories and just added like 
scenes of Breaking Bad. Like, it's like, hang on, that's the tree that we used to pretend was the Millennium Falcon. And now it's hiding that meth lab or that's where we used to play with action figures. What the fuck is going on here? And I'm reading all of this stuff. And so there was the... So it actually took two weeks to dismantle. It took three teams two weeks to dismantle because the it was so volatile that it could have exploded and taken out half the block of where it was. Uh, wow. And there was another uh, there was another house that was like two k's away in Kilkenny, and that was run by you know another guy that I went to school with their family. <laughs> you know, it's like I kind of knew people involved in all of this. Yeah. And real I'm neighborhood looking, operation. You, you know, you love to hear it. It's like, so Gary, his dad, uh, Danny, was a plumber. So that's how he knew how to make shit. And so he'd grown up as his apprentice and used to work with him all the time. And so you can imagine I'm looking at this and I'm on the phone to mum and she's like, you're reading it. And I'm like, there's Gary. He's a year older than me. He's got that long blonde kind of... Uh, fading head dread kind of look. He's kind of puffy. He's got tattoos. He's there with his pregnant girlfriend who's like in her 20s. He's there with all of this stuff being pulled apart. And I'm looking at all of this in genuine shock. And my mum, who's in her 60s, says, you know the one good thing that comes out of this? I said, no. And she said, eh, at least Gary didn't grow up to be a poofter. <laughs> but oh, it was a genuine, like, what is uh, happening yeah, here? What a, what, a, what a divergent path you two have taken. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, artist, you know, podcaster, TV writer, all that stuff. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to get the meth routes. That's oh, the walk and his, in the road for me. His dad used to lecture my mum all the time. And it was it was hard work because his mum was lovely and mm. my mum and his mum got along really well but then Danny had come home and give it a bit of eh, you oh. know and <laughs> he just used to lecture her and lecture her and it used to drive my mum crazy and I think she used to think fuck make another friend you know so I don't have to deal <laughs> with, with their parents and then for her to sort of see that yeah. you know Jesus. And then she does a 40-year callback. I thought, well, fucking good good effort, Mum. <laughs> that's some comedy skills right there. Yeah, that's right. Howard, we got two more questions to ask you. The first yeah. is, if someone says to you, hey, I'm coming down to South Australia for a day, specifically West Croydon and Adelaide, and I need an itinerary for something to do for 24 hours, morning, afternoon, night, where, where do you send them? Oh, my God, that's a really good question. Uh, especially... Considering we're in, you know, whatever lockdown this is, number two, and I've not been back to Adelaide that much in the last couple of years. Um, So I would probably... I'd get them to head down to Glenelg for the afternoon. I think that's quite a nice beach and a nice area. Mm -hmm. You could go and get lunch there as well and uh, enjoy themselves. Where could they go in the morning? Probably... uh, There's probably... uh, there's nice cafes on East Terrace in the city. So if you feel like having a bit of a wander around, it's right near the Botanical Gardens. You can go and have a look down there near the museums. So that would be nice. And then if they wanted to see a show, I'd probably suggest, uh, you know, checking the festival uh, theatre, which always has wonderful uh, things on all the time. Uh, or if they wanted some comedy, they could go to the Rhino Room, depending on what day that was. Great room. And then I'd probably, you know, there's some, God, there's some great restaurants, actually. There's some really great restaurants in Perry Street and Rundle Street. So, you know, go and 
see a show and then go and have a late night bite kind of thing. That would be yeah, right. that would be my suggestion. What a day! But, but that yeah. what a what a forty eight year old man thing to say though. <laughs> so I'll go and have a long breakfast. I'll go and just sit here, have a long eat, lunch. Eat, I'll, eat, I'll watch yeah. a show and then I'll keep eating and then I'll go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> And um, finally, when all is said and done, everything you've, everything you've achieved, you've achieved, everything you've ever wanted, uh, when all is said and done, would you move back to West Croydon to settle down? Yeah, what a good question. Um, I don't know. It's such a hard thing, isn't it? Like, so weirdly, I was just thinking about this uh, maybe about an hour and a half ago, two hours ago, when I, you know... You get on Instagram and you're mm. seeing what your friends are up to. That's nice. And then I saw a mate of mine is at a, 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 a venue this afternoon that is run by friends of mine and they're having a drink. And I thought, oh, that looks like it would be quite a bit of fun, doesn't it? And then I saw a picture of someone that my friend is with and it's like, fuck, it's just I'd have to see those people. You know those people, like yeah. the people that you've moved on from. That's the mm. problem with Adelaide being a smaller city. Yeah. Is there's more chance that you're going to fucking bump into them? And you can't hide. Yeah, you can't hide from those people. I'm sure they don't want to hang out with me as well. Like I'm fine yeah. with it. Do you know what I mean? Like this is not a you know a holier than thou kind of thing. It's just more a case of we've said what we need to say. It already feels awkward when we bump into each other on the street of Adelaide and go, you know, hey, hey, oh, well that was a great hey. Better move on, you know. So <laughs> I think I think that's the fear. Also, the the, the problem is um, like it is beautiful and there's so many gorgeous places there. I've become really soft with the weather. Like Right. Like mm. I like since I've lived here, like winter's great here. Like winter yeah. is hilarious. Like <laughs> it is like I had been living here for a few years and then I had to go to Melbourne during winter and I went to look for my gloves and my beanie and my scarf and I couldn't fucking find them because you know why? I don't need them here. Yeah. They are shoved at the back of the cupboard whereas <laughs> In Melbourne, it's like, oh, it's a sunny day. Better take my umbrella, better take my beanie, better take my glass, better take my scarf because I know it's going to turn in an hour and then an hour after that, I know I'm going to be going through an early menopause as I burst into <laughs> a, a, a heat sweats, you know? Oh, so yeah. so I kind of like living here, you know, because it's just really nice. It's hard weather. to escape that, uh, especially mm. if you're getting yeah, It gets right. cold in Adelaide too. Like, yeah. you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not depressing like Melbourne. You know how Melbourne loses... All the colour. Yeah. Everyone, mm, mm, mm. everyone around July, August is anxious. Mm. Anxious. I've been in situations where you're talking to someone and they're like, I don't know what's going on with my career. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I just don't know who I am anymore. I don't even know what I want to achieve. And then that first blue sky of spring comes along and you see them and they'll be like, oh, fuck. So sorry. Back to normal. Everything's okay. <laughs> That's why they're picking on every other city because they're sitting yeah, there yeah. just in seasonal yeah. depression. Yeah, it tight, is. You know? I reckon you might be right, actually. <laughs> they're furious. Sounds like a maybe, but a, yeah, it sounds like a no sort of. It's, maybe. Which is, most people sort of land on that. But yeah. So, so Hammer, what, what, what have you got going on? What do you want to plug before we wrap up? Yeah, so um, I'm finishing the uh, new uh, this season of uh, my podcast, Big Squid, which um, just kind of blew out because of lockdown. So uh, Ben Elwood, comedian Ben Elwood, and I, we have been doing a rewatch of uh, 
uh, of all the Sofia Coppola's movies. Ah. And um, the last movie that we watched, we've been doing them in sequential order, so it was On the Rocks. And I, have you seen that film? No. No. Uh, so, like, I am a super fan now. Like, I went from liking a few of her movies. Hadn't seen some of them and then watching and just going, oh, no, this woman is a genius. Like, she is so clever and so funny, but it's not obvious, you know. You have to really watch it, you know. Mm -hmm. But her last movie, On the Rocks, about, you know, a woman thinks her husband's cheating on her, so her and her dad, you know, go on these hijinks and try to catch him out. And I just thought it was well made, but just not for me. But when I was watching it, it got to the end and I was like, I reckon it turns out the husband's not cheating. That's the twist, but I turned. I was like, "That guy's cheating." These guys haven't had any fucking chemistry all the way through the movie. Didn't think anything more of it. Then Ben and I record the last podcast, and he said, "Did you think he was cheating?" I said, "Yeah, I did." And then he applied it all the way through the film, and it went from being a movie that I kind of didn't give a fuck about to suddenly thinking, "Jesus Christ, this is a masterpiece!" Right. Because if he is cheating all the way, no wonder they don't have chemistry. Like there is, yeah. it's all <laughs> yeah. these. Uh, so it was such a fun podcast, like, you know, when you come in with some thoughts or ideas and then someone yeah. says something to you that flips you and it's it's exhilarating because you're there going, what? I had not, like, I'd kind of thought it, but I hadn't applied it. And then it, it suddenly he's got this dark humour all the way through the film. So yeah. we thought, oh, well, that'll be a nice place to kind of finish this season, which will just give us a bit of a break. We're, we're going to start a, uh, doing a sci-fi podcast called Space Podacy that will be part cool. of the, the Big Squid oh, nice. stuff and our next director is going to be David Lynch and uh, uh, I've got other like I've got friends in New York Nick Hampton who wants to do something and author, uh, author Alex Hammond and that have uh, I've got uh, Garth Jones doing Osploitation stuff and Rachel Melanta in, in Canada the comedian over there doing stuff so um, you know lots of people doing different segments so uh, awesome. we will bring that back soon but uh yeah thanks for having me on this it's been no uh, it's been fun to go back to adelaide and think about it especially in these times yeah oh that's great so the pod so the pod's big squid pod big squid on, on everything go listen to yeah, that check and it out yeah everyone who listens and check to this, us um some five star reviews check I, I, some reviews I, we got I, I load it up every day at work it's still <laughs> four, it's still the same amount of reviews please give I Drew something the he's so so addicted to these reviews so <laughs> If you're listening, uh, go go review us on everything and, and just just some. say something nice. That's all right. Like just give yeah. him like five just star, know five stars. five stars. Say something nice. Hit send and know at some point in that day, which will probably be only a few seconds according to this addiction, yeah. Drew is going to have a moment oh. where he is going to be like, I'm back from the edge, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think That's I've received that exact I think yeah. I've received that exact message from Drew. <laughs> I'm back from the edge, baby. I think that has come up. Absolutely. You need, so to get, you need merch. That's what I want. That's what I want your merch to be. And it's oh, people man. just standing on the edge. I would, yeah, a Drew quote on some merch. That would be great. Hamo, <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming so by. Much, Listen no to our podcast yes, every week thanks. and thank subscribe you. on all socials. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Bye, everybody. everybody. Bye. Bye.